everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Jerry Green, who flew from Dayton, Ohio, to share how you can get your business down to two to four hours per week through scaling and virtual training. If this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. Uh, one question I get a lot is how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? And the information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. Take consistent action and you will become one. When you hear a nugget, type it into the comments section after the show, identify your single biggest takeaway and focus on only just that for the next seven days. If you get value to, uh, today out of the show, please tag a friend below, share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. You ready? I'm ready, my friend. All right. So first question as always is what got you into real estate? Oh, wow. So let's take back, I guess that's a journey back in time there, Steve, on things. So uh, the reason I uh, really started looking at the whole real estate side of things, and this is back on uh, taking it back to 19, probably started really looking at in probably 1993. I was actually um, working with my father at that time in the electrical contracting business back in, uh, this is actually in Springfield, Ohio. So I was working with my father back then in the business and I just was uh, really getting fed up with the whole contracting side. It was just um, a lot of stress, getting paid from people and everything else. And I noticed um, uh, actual ad on TV. Of course, you take it back then, we didn't have the internet. You know, I mean, it was nothing like that. Right. So they basically had an ad on t TV about an upcoming real estate seminar in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it, I remember it was uh, Charles Gibbons. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I don't know if you remember him, but mm -hmm. this is old, old days. Yeah. Okay. So it was Charles Givens and I thought, well, I'm going to check this out. So I went to the seminar and it was actually a three day event. And uh, I thought, well, cool, man, I can really make this happen. But at the same time I was working in the contracting business. So that's kind of where the journey started, just going to that first seminar there. And uh, it, so it was, it was the, the whole birth of things, I guess, for me. <laughs> uh, when was this approximately? So this was in 93 when I went to the seminar. 93. And yeah. how old were you? Uh, let's see. <laughs> well, let's see. I was in my 20s at that time. Okay. Uh, so, so about the same age, a lot of the listeners that we have. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so you got you go to a seminar, three-day event, um, and you learn a bunch learned, there. Yeah. And then what? So I learned a lot course i walked out not knowing really what to do mm -hmm. and it was interesting so what i just you know i was in a position where i went back of course i was still working in the contracting business and what was interesting what happened was about the same time we had a large general contractor that we worked for close his doors oh and my father and I had a small business, just a few people working for us. Well, at that time, he owed our company about $60,000. When you take back that in the 90s, that, that's, a, it's a, that's a huge hit. Yeah. And we were, were not able to recover from that at all, uh, Steve. I mean, we got to the point where we just like, you know, we're really stressed trying to figure things out. So here I went to the seminar. I was going through all the stress right after that. This contractor closing his doors. And I still remember this. It was on a Sunday night. Uh, I remember the guy that owned the company called me at home. 
because we didn't really have the cell phones much back then. We had a little bit, maybe like a bag phone or something. Mm -hmm. And I remember him calling me and telling me that he was, uh, he said, Jerry, I wanted to let you know, give me an advance notice. Okay, remember he was calling me a Sunday night. Someone to give me advance notice that we're closing our company as of tomorrow. Uh, wow, I'm getting big advance notice, you know. Right. So here was sixty grand that he owed me on things. Well, this, it just started a whole snowball effect, and we weren't able to get out of that cycle, and uh, and it filed bankruptcy out of that. So I was trying to figure out what to do. So and I kept going back to why well, I went to that real estate seminar, mm -hmm. okay? Because I really didn't do anything afterwards right away, and I kept thinking, okay, what am I going to do? You know, can I make this happen? Um, so, you know, and here I was being forced out of what I was doing in the contracting business. So, um, you know, I thought, well, the best thing to do is go talk with my family, right? Because mm -hmm. your family's always going to give you the best advice. So, <laughs> usually, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah so usually, not always. <laughs> so, I went and talked to my family on this, and what they told me was, Jerry, you need to get a job. Mm -hmm. Sounds so, like family. Yep. So I actually, uh, actually started looking for a job instead of, you know, you know, but I still had this real estate thing going on in the back of my head. And I actually went to uh, apply it at a local university in their engineering department. Cause I, you know, uh, prior to that, I was in the U S air force and took, it was in civil engineering. And so I applied there in several different places and that university called me. It was, I remember this, it was on a Friday. And they offered me the position in their engineering department. And I thought, can I think about that? They go, you have till Monday because we have several other candidates. Mm -hmm. So done a lot of soul searching that weekend and tried to decide, you know, what am I going to do? Um, thought about it and thought about it that weekend. And I thought, you know, I see other people doing this real estate business. And I thought, you know, why can't I do it? And at the same time, I thought to myself, you know, what, where else could it, I mean, I was at the bottom of, of things and financially there, I thought, what I got to lose? I already lost it all. Right. So I called him up on Monday and I turned him down. And then I started thinking, okay, this is, this is real. Mm -hmm. So I really start focusing on things real quick. And I remember meeting a gentleman there too at the, um, at the event I was at and I contacted him about being a mentor for me. And I had no way of paying him, so I borrowed uh, my mom and dad's credit cards, paid him on things, and then I went out and really started applying some of the strategies. And what I really started doing is, uh, when I originally started, I just really started going into wholesaling. And I was going in uh, pretty well all the rough areas. I was yeah. over in Springfield, Ohio. I was just out there hitting the areas there, you know, just really I never taking boards off of windows of properties just crawling through the windows whatever it took yeah. and I, that's what I started building on so it was a blessing it was a blessing contractor folded on you yeah it was a and of course at that time you know you know it didn't feel like a blessing no no it's like yeah I mean literally the banker came to our house that we had a line of credit on because of equipment and I remember my wife and them hiding in the house because the banker come to the doors knocking on the door, no joke. And uh, I had to deal with all that and stuff, but you know, we got through it. So you were married? Yeah. yeah. With kids? Uh, we had one, yep. So it was devastating? Very much so. Yeah. All right, so then what was your first deal? So first deal that happened was actually, this is, I was working with my original mentor on a property and it was actually in Kentucky. 
Okay, even though I live in Ohio, it was actually in Kentucky because he could work, work kind of in the Cincinnati area. And we put it right in northern, uh, together a, a northern Kentucky deal. And I still remember the street so well because the street was called Ohio Street. <laughs> and it was an assignment I put together. wasn't a big one, but it made 2500 bucks. So let's talk about the, the deal. How did you find it? Because the way things work today is a little bit different than the way things might have worked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, back then we didn't, you know, it, we didn't have lists and things mm -hmm. like that. But basically, this just came through. Um, we have basically been putting out flyers in areas. Yeah, because there was a time where newspaper used to work. Oh, newspaper was big. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a whole other. <laughs> I got some good stories on that too. Yeah, the newspaper side. So. All right. So you did your first deal with a mentor, and what'd you buy it for? What'd you wholesale it for? Oh, geez, that was. I think it was. I'm just trying to recall that number back then, but. I know it was somewhere in, it was like, I don't know, uh, I think Steve, about 12,000, I think it was like 12, 12, five, I think was the actual numbers on that. And then we just, and I wholesaled it for 15,000. So it was a quick 2,500 bucks. And then you had to split that with your mentor? Uh, no, actually he was pretty cool about that. Okay, awesome. So, and then where'd you go from there? So you do your first deal, then what? So I got my first deal done and I thought, wow, this works. Yeah, perfect and, concept. Yeah, and it was really cool on this, Steve, too, is when I, after I'd done that first deal, I thought, all right, you know, um, I guess what I started really thinking about was how long I used to work sometimes on a project to make that kind of money, you know? Mm -hmm. So I thought, let's compare the time. So I just thought, okay, if I can do this once, I can do it again. So from there, what I did was I just really went out and started, you know, I pretty well hit the streets all the time because, you know, we, we didn't have the ability to go on online, search things, and people don't realize the difference. They just, they have no idea what it was like. I mean, we, it was it was a heavy grind mode. And so I basically went out and started uh, one, running ads in the newspaper. Uh, you know, the We Buy Houses ads, we started doing that. We started going out uh, constantly, going around neighborhoods, driving for dollars. Mm -hmm. The thing is, the driving for dollars took forever because we had, we had to get the list, write them down. And then I, then I thought it was really cool when I got a tape recorder that I could record it on. And then I put them on there and we'd go back and then put the list on paper. Mm -hmm. Then we had to go to the courthouse because we had to pull up all the records. And we had oh, to pull up a microfish man. and look at everything. Uh -huh. There wasn't no ability to do anything else. So we pull up all that, get the tax mailing addresses, start sending out. So we, we were doing that. Uh, and then I also built some really good relationships during that time, too, with some real estate agents that I worked with mm -hmm. that were heavy in the REO space. Gotcha. And, uh, and I used to get the, and back then, too, when I first started, too, the MLS was a book. Mm-hmm. So every week I would go drive to their office. I would get the old book from the prior week. So it was going like through a, a yellow page, mm -hmm. um, you know, book. So it's just crazy to imagine that you had to go and take the address, transcribe it from a tape recorder, uh, go to the courthouse, and then microfilm <laughs> to pull to find out yeah. the owner's tax mailing address. Yep. I mean, it's so freaking easy right now. There I mean, are really no excuses today. Oh, not excuse. I mean, people tell me this. It's like oh, it's so hard. You have no freaking idea. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it got when they started. They started working with us at one point, Steve, where they would let us get like four or five addresses at once on the phone. 
Mm-hmm. And we thought that was amazing because we called down there and like, okay, we'll give you five addresses. That's it. So, <laughs> so we thought we were doing good. Yeah. So back then, what were some of your biggest sources? I mean, we talked about Drive for Dollars, um, Dark Mail, newspaper. Newspaper was, actually, newspaper was really kind of our, uh, if you look at it, you know, our Facebook, our pay-per-click today, you know, that was our, our big thing. Mm-hmm. So we ran ads in the newspaper all the time. And what was funny was in the ads we ran in the newspaper, there were several of us in there. And what happened on it, we learned that typically if you were top of the list, you got called first. Mm-hmm. So what we did, we started, all of us started fighting for that positioning. So what we would do is we would have like our, we buy houses, we buy homes, and we would add an A in front of it. Mm-hmm. Like the yellow pages. Yeah. And then what happens, somebody figured that out, so we added two A's. Mm-hmm. Then somebody added three A's, and then finally the newspaper company got a hold of us and said, guys, we're not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a whole line of A's or something. Right. <laughs> so we the newspaper was big. Um, the driving for dollars uh, was probably one of our biggest producers too. You know, uh, it just, it was, but it was constant all the time. But but I would get kids mm-hmm. and go out in neighborhoods. I would drive and then let them run down the streets, get the addresses, and then I would <laughs> give them like candy or we go to uh, like Seven Eleven get a Slurpee. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So at which point did you go from wholesaling to fixing and flipping? So I started off wholesaling. And when I, I got, you know, sort of building that up. And what happened was I kind of got to the point where I was seeing a lot of people, you know, that was obviously wholesaling too. And I thought, wow, this is a much bigger profit spread on the other side. And I thought, I thought too, well, I've got the knowledge to be able to do that mm-hmm. because especially my background being an electrical and I was around construction all the time. So it was just kind of a natural, you know, I guess, merger over to that. So I was probably within the first two years I really started moving towards that and started getting into fix and flips. But the big thing, uh, Steve, I ran into back then also was I didn't have any money. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I had money that I was building up a little bit from wholesaling, but I didn't have the money to do the fix and flips. So I thought, okay, how can I do that? So I just, I constantly was pushing myself to new limits. So I remember going to like some uh, investor club meetings. I mean, these were the small little meetings like in the bottom of a, a old bank building. Mm-hmm. And I remember going down in one of them and um, basically I, they had a flip chart up in there and you could do little presentations. So I went up in front, I said, look guys, here's what I'm doing. I said, I wanna buy properties, fix it and resell. I said, I don't have any capital, but what I wanna do is I wanna be in a position where uh, I, w- I definitely wanna do this because I'm already wholesaling. Mm-hmm. I said, so here's what I'm, uh, I like to do. Anybody would like to jump in with me on this here? I'll, I'll, I'll take care of all the legwork, I'll find it, I'll fix it, manage all that there, market it, get it sold. All I need you to do is write a check and, and shut up and wait for a bigger check. <laughs> and there was a physician in that room that, and that was my first uh, basically private lender partner, I should say, and we started yeah. doing joint venture deals. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's how it all started. Funny, it was like 50-50? Yeah. It was 50-50, but I, I changed that as I went along. Well, of stuff. course. But yeah, it was 50-50. And then, so you mentioned bottom of a bank. So in my mind, I kind of picture like it. Like a basement. But like today, you just go Google RIA and you just find a RIA. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, so back then, is there an element of like a good old boys network? Like you couldn't even get invited in unless you knew somebody? Pretty well. Yeah. There wasn't, 
it was pretty well somebody uh, make a phone call to you, mm-hmm. uh, send you a letter. So it's like joining like a secret society. Yes, yes, it was exactly it. Yeah, they call me up. Hey, Jerry, you want to come to this meeting? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you did the fixing and flipping thing. How did that transition go for you? So it, it went good at first, you know. And I, I, um, my big problem, Steve, on that was that I was around construction so much that I m- immediately put myself in the midst of all that. So. I was in the position where I was heavily involved in the projects, mm-hmm. you know, uh, helping them oversee them. And, you know, and of course the electrical side, well, nobody can do the electrical better than me. So I was out doing electrical and stuff like that. So, right. um, so I just worked a lot. I worked a tremendous amount of hours, which is not the reason why I got in the real estate. No. Yeah. So, so when did you have the realization? So it took a while on things. Actually, you know, it was, um, so we started, you know, and, and I say we, it was my wife and I at that time were working in, working the business together. We have a, a home office over in Springfield, Ohio there. And we, and I had some other people start helping me out a little bit too on some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just kind of helping out on some rehab stuff. And in fact, my first employee that I had brought in was a gentleman that was delivering Chinese food to us. And I asked him if uh, he asked if he could come work for us. So mm-hmm. I thought, sure. <laughs> so, and that was kind of the relationship we started there. And but what happened was I started going out and uh, you know constantly doing these rehabs, and we started really growing that. So it got to the point where I was doing that. I was doing a lot of joint venture deals. Um, even started doing some more like private capital, just private lenders, and. So that was when I launched full time, but it was only in 94. And by getting into towards the end of 90, uh, the 90s there, uh, the business had grown quite a bit. And I was actually written up in like in the Springfield newspaper and stuff like that. So it was kind of cool on that. Yeah. So so I thought I was kicking butt, mm-hmm. you know, and but I was working like crazy. Well, uh, you know, a big thing that um, that kind of happened to me, just sharing with you a little bit more of my story on things. I um, I got to the point right there in 99, uh, wife and I were like, okay, we're really making some traction. We decided to commit to building a brand new home. And so everything was, you know, really cool. And then we also were uh, having our first baby together because she had a son from prior. So, um, so she was, she was pregnant and, you know, and um, we just rolled into uh, the year 2000. Of course, they were, everybody thought the world was going to end mm-hmm. in 2000 there. So, and then it was, uh, she started having some complications uh, towards the latter part of her pregnancy. So, we thought, well, what's going on on this? And then we ended up uh, in the emergency room over in Springfield, Ohio, a couple different trips. And then the second time we were, or second and third time we were there, they ended up admitting her. And we were like, well, what's going on? They said, well, we've got a, we're going to induce labor on things. And it was a couple months early. We thought, well, okay. And he says, because something's going on with your wife and we don't know what's going on. So they ended up inducing labor and had the baby. And, and that is still, you know, it's just memory on that stuff. It's just so ingrained into your, you know, your whole spirit and mind. And I remember, 
them saying, okay, as soon as the, our little boy was born, it was like, we got to take your wife to get a CT scan right now. And the reason we got to do that is she's bleeding somewhere internal and we don't know where. So they took her and it was about an hour and a half, two hours later. I'll never forget a doctor with two nurses walking down the hallway. And I was sitting out in the hallway a little bit talking to family and I went back into the room. And then they uh, basically told us, they said, uh, based upon the CT scan, it looks like you have a massive tumor in your kidneys. And we're like, we were shocked. You know, and this is our son was just born a couple hours ago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, it, and I share this because we have, you know, what we're looking at is, you know, here was something we built up at how fast something can change. Mm -hmm. I mean, in an instant like that. Yeah. And we went to the point where she ended up having to actually be transferred out of the hospital in Springfield to Ohio State University because they wanted to do some deeper testing and stuff. And they'd done that. And at the same time, our child was left in the hospital there and we had to leave because uh, he needed more care, but she needed immediate care. And a matter of days, we found out that it was malignant cancer and it was something called Wilms tumor, which is very rare for an adult to have. It's a childhood cancer uh, that adults typically don't get. It's in the kidneys. And at that time, they said that tumor was probably the size of a football. It was, wow. Yeah. yeah. And then Steve, from there, man, it was, um, it, it was just, everything changed so fast on things. And we ended up, um, this was in December of 2000. She went in for a major surgery to remove the tumor. And I'll, I'll never forget this. It was, she was in surgery for like 14 hours straight. And um, the doctor came out and just let us know that uh, he had to remove, uh, she had no kidneys, had to remove the kidneys completely. And, you know, and it, was, it was unbelievable. So she, at that moment, she was completely dependent on dialysis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and then she ended up right after that. Um, this is just a few days before Christmas, uh, Christmas Day of 2000. She had massive complications. And we ended up basically for the next four months never leaving the hospital. Now this is over in Columbus. Mm -hmm. She actually was treated at Children's Hospital in Columbus. And I never went home. We just built the brand new home and all this, you know, had built the business up. And I ended up, you know, basically leaving our new home. We had built everything else. And I ended up living in a Ronald McDonald house for four months straight. Mm -hmm. And then um, we finally came home that next following year uh, in, in March of 2001. And uh, she was bedridden, had to be um, transported to dialysis three times a week and uh you know and radiation treatments and it, you know we thought we were doing good and then within about uh 60 days there um we found out that the cancer had returned and uh, they told me at that time she would have to go on hospice care and uh and then my wife that time um 10 months after her son was born passed away in 2001 and uh so, you know, you can see how much my life shifted yeah. in, a, in a very short period of time. So, you know, I know we're looking at the real estate side here today on things, but I also, I think it's a big thing too. People understand is, you know, you got to really make sure you're doing this for the right reason. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
and understand, you know, uh, how fast things can change. Right. And then and it shifted on me. And then, you know, of course, I was in a position where here I had a newborn baby on my own. And, um, you know, so, you know, here she was, you know, obviously my wife uh, also worked with me in the business and everything. So uh, for a period of uh, almost pretty well, almost two years, Steve, I was in a position where I was just pretty well non-functional. Mm-hmm. Of you course. Know, you know, just trying to figure out things. The good thing that I had during that time was I had built up some properties. Also, I had uh, somebody that was working for me some, but they were still doing just the rehab stuff. So that was going to be my next question. I mean, did the whole business just die? Not not completely on things, but it died down tremendously. Well, of course. Yeah. You don't have anyone hel- at the helm. Yeah, because I was doing all the acquisitions and right. all that, that type of stuff. So you came back, your business still alive. I was I came back, business still alive. And I'm asking this because during the course of all this, you had 9-11. Absolutely. See, a lot of people, and I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't even think about that. Mm-hmm. So here it was in, in June of uh, 2001, then September we had 9-11. Mm-hmm. So when, and that's why I hit a lot of people. When people give me excuses about not being able to make this business happen, you know, I'm like BS. You know yeah. what I mean? You, you don't tell me that. I went through some of the toughest times there is, you know, and in our country as well as personal wise tragedy. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, I got to the point where, you know, I start functioning again, and I, I met a lady uh, too that I'm married to now, wonderful woman named Joyce, and um, she she had two kids, and I had mine, and then we have one together now, and. Got married, and she said, "Well, if you're gonna marry me, you got to move to Germantown, Ohio." So that's where I ended up moving. Yeah. And you know, I, I guess I just look at you know, like I say, I look at that time period, man, and I just I think about you know how I even got through that. You know, right. unbelievable. Well, because you dealt with personal adversity, you dealt with economic or you know national crisis. Because when you got back on your feet, we also had the dot com bust. Everything was just hitting. Yeah. And so. And interest uh, rates like crazy, Steve. Well, and I think that, you know, you look at right now, the market's interesting. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't. It's great if you're a flipper, right? It's tough if you're a wholesaler. It's tough if you're flipping, right? If you got a property, you're making money on the deal. If you buy a property, you're making money on the deal because appreciation is crazy. But at the moment, there's a little bit of uncertainty. Yes. And. You survived two of them. Two of them. So what lessons do you have for the people listening as far as how to prepare yourself? Well, I can tell you one of the big things that, well, first of all, even like 9-11 went down there. I mean, during that time, it just, everything is flat, Mm -hmm. you know, completely. And it was... uh, you know what I what I really learned on things during that time. Of course, I was going through so much personally during that time too, but during that time and then well, was going into two thousand eight, you nine and ten. During that time there, I, I just one of thing I really learned is not over leveraging things. Uh, I just let me just say this: back in when two thousand eight came, and then through that to about two thousand ten. I would say up to 90 some percent of the people that I worked with that knew that I knew that were in the real estate business went out of business. 90%. About 90%. Wow. 
It was it was a big number. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I can tell you a couple big things on that. One, they were way over leveraged on their properties. They were doing way too many. If they were uh, a lot of the rehabs they were involved with, they were trying to do way too many rehabs at one time. So, you know, I see a lot of people doing rehabs and stuff like that. When the market's good, it makes everybody look like an amazing person. Mm-hmm. Okay, but uh, I watched that, and and then another thing that I saw too was, and and I really didn't learn this until later in my career, is that the people that really work on building out a true business are the ones that will pull through on the other side. Yeah. Okay. Versus just being in it where you're just a deal chaser and you never know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Well, because uh, Don Costa and I have talked about this, right? Because we both only survived one recession. <laughs> Uh, he lost a bunch of houses that he was flipping. Uh, I just went through some tumultuous times because I was real. I was a realtor, um, but I saw, you know, if you were highly leveraged, you oh. didn't have a lot of exit strategies. You had one exit strategy, or you had two: you had foreclosure or short sale. Those are your exit strategies. <laughs> Those aren't the best. They're not the best. So when you're talking about highly leveraged, what? How would you describe highly leveraged? Like, what? What is the number that you felt is comfortable, or is just too extreme? Well, I think anybody that's really now is getting above. I, I to me, I, I'm my comfort level is about seventy percent mm-hmm. uh, uh, value wise. Yeah, and so seventy percent loan to value. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at somewhere in that realm. Now, people, I see a lot of people pushing it up a lot higher than that, and it's I just know when from prior experience, uh, and that's and I've seen this happen two times now, Steve. Mm-hmm. Okay, and every time somebody starts getting a pushing that up there, especially like 80% or above, that's usually a, a big problem on things. So there's a reason why the banks are asking for 20, 30% now. Exactly. hundred uh, percent, my man. So yeah, cause that's, that's for us, you know, like my wife and I, we, we have only a couple of rental properties, but they're paid off free and clear. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not the smartest way to handle it. But again, we survived one oh, yeah. and we got to witness, like I got to see every realtor uh, that was successful and married become not successful and not married. So a lot of contractors oh, that are married oh, yep. and then lost everything, including their marriage. I saw, you know, it's, it's crazy. I think about it. Um, it, it just, and especially, you know, look, I, I know a lot of people are really big in the sexy thing is multifamily thing mm-hmm. right now. Okay. But, <clears throat> and I, there's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, I had some multifamily, I sold them all in the last couple of years, but I've watched a lot of people being in that side of things, so leveraged on that. And, you know, where maybe the bank loan was very low, but they had a lot of investor capital involved, mm-hmm. you know, on the down payment side of things. And just when as soon as the pressure came, it just collapsed. Yeah. And so that was crazy. But, you know, I, like I said, I went through that whole cycle. And then after I got married, uh, uh, you know, second time here with my wife now, and, and then I moved to Germantown. I was like, man, I'm going to fire this rehab thing right back up full blast. And that's what I did. And I built it up to the point where I had four full-time project managers do multiple rehabs. And uh, within a few short years after that, I hated it. <laughs> so we'll t- I want to I want to talk on that. But before we talk on that, so when you, you, you were away dealing with personal crisis mm-hmm. and has someone running your operation and one of the things we talk about here is working two to four hours a week which you can't do without good people 
Oh my gosh, yes. Right. So, 100%. um, talk on how important it is to have somebody. Because I mean, my personal tragedy is tearing my Achilles tendon, so I can't work. Right, like for a couple of months. You obviously went through something far worse. Talk about the importance of having the right people around you, surrounding yourself with the right people. Well, I mean, during that time, of course, I didn't have, you know, I had no idea really how to build a proper team then, mm -hmm. but I did have some support, okay? Yeah. And I had somebody that allowed me to spend time with my family during that time and still, you know, do things on a daily basis. So, you know, I think what a lot of times we get involved in this, Steve, in, in this uh, real estate side, and we forget about it being a real business. In fact, um, this was years ago when I really had a major transformation in my thinking on this. And what was what I realized was that I kind of almost like draw a line down a center of a piece of paper. One side is real estate, the other side is business. And what I see is so many people getting caught up in the real estate side uh -huh. and never looking at it as a business. And I think real estate more than other areas is even more volatile on this side of things. And the big reason on that is I think is because the uh, real estate can be such a personal business uh -huh. and they get so involved in that on the emotional side. And I've done that for years. And I see a lot of people I work with, you know, students I work with and everything that I see them all the time. They're so involved in that. Well, the problem is once something shifts in your life or in the marketplace, you're not able to plan for that because you're so ingrained into just being in the real estate side, what I call kind of being a deal chaser that you never take time to really build it as a business. Mm -hmm. And when I really started realizing that, that was a big change for me and how I started looking at things differently. And, yeah. um, you know, and I really built from there and it wasn't easy to change. So let's talk about the, you're doing a ton of flips for project managers, for project managers, and not in love with that model. What's that? And you were not in love with that. Oh, model. Steve, I was like, because put in perspective, you're probably making a lot of money. Yeah. We were generating a lot of cash, Yeah, but I was spending a lot of cash too. All right. So let's talk about that. So it was a lot of money coming in, a lot of money going out. And so it just went right from the front door to the back door. Yeah, pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> and here's what I realized too, man. It was like, and when I kind of was sharing with you, when I wrote down like that, I was like, okay, wait a minute. Everybody's just riding the Jerry wave here. Mm -hmm. Because the thing, I had the project managers, but I was still involved in all this stuff. So I was like involved in all the decisions. Like, hey, Jerry, what color are you want to use here? What? And I was just, you know, constantly making decisions on this stuff here. And the problem is, even though I had all those project managers and stuff, somebody's got to manage the project managers. And it was a constant thing, too, of why well, I, I need more money here. I need this. And it just it drove me nuts. And I think, uh, 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 you know, a big thing I learned from that, too, man, was um, that, you know, you can't. I was hiring people strictly based upon their skills. And that was a big mistake. Why was that a mistake? That was a big mistake because I was not hiring first based upon core values or culture. And it, heck, I didn't know what it was. Right. Okay. Yeah. So how could I didn't know what to look at on that? So I was just bringing people. Yeah. You have some experience. Yeah. Well, 
that doesn't mean that you're the fit. You're not the A team player that we need on our team. Right. So, like I said, it was um, extremely stressful time. So, you know, I built that whole thing up, mm -hmm. you know, so it's crazy. And then I think about all these cycles I went through and stuff, but I've seen a lot of people do this and they think, well, I'm going to build this big master, uh, you know, big monster of a, a business out. But you really got to ask yourself, is that something you really want? Right. And that's a question. I always hear these guys talking about how big they want to get. It's like, are you sure that's what you want? Yeah. Do you know what your profitability was back then, approximately? We were probably, oh, that was years ago, but I bet, Steve, we were probably no more than about 15%. Yeah. I mean, net, I'm talking. Well, yeah. and that was kind of the realization I had right, as a realtor. You know, I was like, you know, I'm getting all this recognition. You know, you're being chased by brokerages. You're getting chased by title companies. You're getting chased, chased by loan officers. It feels good. Oh, it feels good. If everybody is like wants a, a piece of you yeah. because you're bringing all this business to the table. But then you look at, okay, I am spending this much and I'm bringing in this much, I'm only a slight economic shift from being out of business. That's it. And, and, that, then, was, yeah. and, and that terrified me. And you think about, so I had a lot, when the second crash happened at that time, I think I had about 15 properties. Mm -hmm. I was on renovation. Scared me to death because I ended up holding most of those for a year. Yeah. Okay, take holding cost for a year. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you see what kind of margins, they dwindle very fast. Oh, if there's any margin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so um, you survived multiple cycles. Ooh, it's my laptop crashed. That's unfortunate. All right, so you survived multiple cycles. Um, you've, you're careful not to overlever. What else? Are you careful about? Also, another thing that I've really become careful about now is just more of involving me, involving myself in parts of the business that I suck at. Involving yourself or removing yourself? Well, careful about involving myself. Oh, careful, bunk. Got it. Okay. Yeah, in areas that I suck at. Yeah. Okay, which is a lot. Yeah. So, so this is a fun exercise for some people. How do you figure out? what things you suck at that's that's an interesting question yeah so i learned through over time on things was uh, i think a big thing for me steve was understanding how my mind worked okay and that's something i think a lot of people never take the time to do right okay and, re and really how the mind works and i had to realize that I was never the person that was uh, going to, you know, I, I looked at something and I saw starting point and I saw the, the end and I'm like, how come we don't already have it done? Okay. And so now the thing is, I'm very good about understanding that and sharing that with others, but doing it is a whole different ball game. Right. Execution is different than just knowing. Yeah. And that was my big thing. And I, and I come to a realization that that was one of my big problems. Mm -hmm. So that was a big, big component for me. And, it, and something else that I, I recommend, and it's just something maybe we could uh, share to all your listeners and stuff too, is something called uh, drivers and drainers. Mm -hmm. And are you familiar with that, are you? 
not in that term, so you okay. want to elaborate on it. Yeah, so it's basically, and this is something I recommend, and I'll share this with you, and you can share it, but it's just real simple um, for people to basically take a five-day period of time, especially if, you know, like work days, and then document all the things that drive them and all the things that drain them, mm-hmm. okay? Now, I have some uh, things I can share with you that you're more welcome to share with people, but doing that really helps start getting some clarity on where they need to be focusing their time and their energy because obviously I was in a position where I think back about okay dealing with contractors that's an area I hated okay Mm -hmm. I mean literally Steve I could go from being calm to being extremely pissed off in a matter of about 10 seconds yeah okay just with dealing with that so I learned that, okay, I need to start removing myself for that. That's one of the things I, reason I brought project management thing. But mm-hmm. then, then I realized that I was not good at managing a whole team that, because, you know, my mind worked so different. And I, and I talk about that. Um, I think another perfect example, and this is something we see all the time. So, you know, we look at myself or your listeners here, or your, you know, even you, we, we go to an event somewhere, we learn some new ideas. And then what I used to do is come back and bring it to the team. So I come back to the team. I say, hey, guys, we're going to do all this and this and this. So here's something I learned for, uh, for the last two, three days. Then I bring it back and dump it on them in a matter of 30 minutes. I say, here you guys go. And I expect them to get it. And then they walk away saying, well, Jerry, we're still trying to figure out what you gave mm-hmm. us last time. Mm-hmm. And it was constant like that. Yeah. So that that was something big for me that I I think I realized that when it comes to the mind side of things, you really have to understand how your brain works because just because your mind works that way doesn't mean everybody else's mind works that way. Well, for sure. And there's one way to really frustrate your team is to go to a seminar, come back with a bunch of ideas and dump it on your team. Mm. So when people come to our workshops, we just tell them like, take all the ideas, pick three and throw the rest away. 100%. 100%. And just of the three, pick the one that's going to either be the easiest or most impactful, and you can't even start the other two. Yeah. The first one's done. Steve, you know, my um, COO, Ashley, and I work together. Yeah. And our standing rule is this. Everything, now, now I'm not allowed to talk to the team on those things. <laughs> so I take them to her, mm-hmm. and she runs basically, and this is a great suggestion, just basically we have like a, a, a what we call our green book. And in that green book, she puts down all my ideas, but there's only two allowed to be implemented at one time. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you got to do. You got to be singularly focused. Um, all right. So you're in Ohio. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people there. Yeah, there's a lot of people. A lot of big names over there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How's your different business? How's your business different than everybody else's? I think a big thing that we've set up is you know, well, like I said, I was doing the rehabs, mm-hmm. okay? And so you understand on that, I built that up pretty good. And then I got to the point where I told you I really hated that. So it was the point where I just basically pulled the plug on things mm-hmm. and got rid of probably 70% of the people. And it was tough. In fact, one of the people I had to let go, uh, been with me for 15 years and then was the best man in my wedding. So that was not easy. No. Um, so it was a big transformation. And then what happened on that 
was from that whole thing, Steve, what I really learned was I wanted to be in a position that I really wanted to focus on a business that was scalable without me being involved in every moving part. And that was not the rehab business. Right. Okay. And that was, you know, some people do it. That's fine. I'm not knocking that. But I learned that, you know, just from doing it for many years, that I was going to work on something that was a lot more scalable. And I just looked at it that, you know, look, even if I was in the business of this, you know, doing waters and like bottled water, I just said, okay, if I'm going to do this, this is a business. All this is is a product. So how do I turn this into business and, and just move as much product as possible? Mm-hmm. And that's what I decided to do. And I said, I just want to scale this product. And also I wanted to remove myself from this. So now what's really set us apart on things is we've set it up now where we're really, our focus now is we do 90, 97% of our deals are done through wholesaling where we used to be mainly fix and flip. So what I think what sets us apart uh, is one is we're pretty well focused just on wholesaling. Second thing is we are completely virtual mm-hmm. on things. In fact, I was doing virtual deals well before COVID was even around. Right. So, and I think that's really what sets us apart on that. And then another thing too is this our, our overall production line process that we've created. What does that mean? So I, a lot of people don't, again, let's go back to the business uh, side of things. What I realized is that if, if, like I said, I was in the business of this, I would have some type of production line process. So why couldn't I do the same thing with real estate? Mm-hmm. So I just set it up where I'm very focused on creating you know, the boxes, like an accountability chart, and then setting those people in those boxes, have an overall operating system with processes feeding that. Mm-hmm. And then that's really what we build everything on. So. What it allowed us to do is in a position we, we are constantly, you know, boom, boom, doing deals. I, I'll never forget this kind of a quick thing is I um, learned this uh, years ago from a gentleman that took a business to up to uh, over 300 million a year. It wasn't real estate on things. But one of the things he said really sticks with me was, you know, how does a business sound that is functioning well? you know, on the production process or, you know, and he said, most businesses you hear him going like this, boom, 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 boom. You know, it's just a fluctuation. He says a, a well-oiled machine should be going boom, 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 over and over again. And you can just, that is a scalable model. Mm-hmm. And so I really started applying that into the business and, you know, that's really set us apart a lot in our marketplace where we can constantly pr- produce big results over and over again. And we've also, um, this is something really big that I think listeners need to uh, listen to is something, what you call putting constraints on your business. What kind of constraints? So I look at it, if I, can, if I can't see, let me share with you just kind of, it's kind of going through different phases of your business. Mm-hmm. When you first start off, you're typically you're in your launch phase, right? Mm-hmm. So you're launching into your business, just getting things rolling. Very short period of time. If you're lucky on things and you work your ass off, you'll get to the point where you'll get into the growth phase mm-hmm. and you'll start growing. And that's when you start adding some people, you add some processes on things, your revenue starting to increase a little bit. 
but then you get to the point where it starts capping out. And I see this with a lot of people, a lot of students I work with and my, you know, my coaching and everything else. And I see that where people cap out, you know, a lot of times in this business, it might be 300 to 500,000 a year, depending on your market. Yeah. And they'll cap out on things. And then what happens is, is they're, they're in that position. And then all of a sudden they, they go, man, I'm ready to scale. And then they scale it and they try to scale and it just all collapses. Mm-hmm. Well, they forgot one of the most important phases because you get launch, then you go into growth phase, and then they're trying to go to scale phase. But one of the phases they forgot about was constraints. And that's one of the most important ones because what happens in the constraint phase, you're going through and you start thinking about all the things that you need to start putting constraints on, on you and your business like you shouldn't be doing anymore. Like if you're gonna grow, you can't be doing all these things yourself. And as well as another thing too that I found out was, think about this. This is where I see a lot of people struggle is they go in and they're trying to create this production line process. But imagine running a production line. Just think about it for automobiles. And let's say you're running uh, one style of car down it. And then in the midst of the production line, you decide you wanna do trucks. Is that gonna throw off a production line? And throw off the production line, it's gonna piss off your team. Yeah. So, but we do it all the time. We do. Okay. So I started seeing this all the time. And I thought, if you really want to scale this thing out, create a production line for wholesaling, create a production line for retail flips. But you got to make sure that all those processes are laid out. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. And you start putting these constraints on. It's like, and, and I think about it for my COO, Ashley. I empower her to basically set things up where she knows that the deals, here's the deals, here's the numbers. She always has, she already has that preset, Steve, where she knows all that, all these parameters. I can step out and now those constraints are in place and she can do it over and over again as fast as possible. Right. Because most of us in this business, what happens, the deals come in and then we're trying to make a decision on every single one. Mm And what happens there is the we get, get stuck. Yeah, and we get decision fatigue, mm-hmm. and then nothing gets done, and the team gets pissed off. All right. So let's talk about your business. Right, your your statewide. What kind of volume are you guys doing right now? So we're typically we we'll have somewhere in the neighborhood about forty some to fifty deals in the pipeline at once. Got it. So we're typically, and that's in fact, I just talked to Ashley this morning. I think we're up in the mid 40s or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's very common. So our goal is to close out close to 18 to 20 a month. Got it. Um, and Ashley is the COO. Yeah, Ashley is COO. Yes. And she's running all that. And she's running it out. Another thing too, and Steve, on that, she actually runs my company virtually. Mm-hmm. She's not in Ohio. No, she was in Ohio, but her she was transferred. Uh, or I should say her husband was transferred. He's in the Air Force and he went to uh, New, uh, Albuquerque. Mm. So, but they were in Dayton, but uh, you know, and she started off just as an assistant. In fact, this last week, she just had her eight year anniversary with me. Wow. So, yeah. Um, and then you guys are doing, you know, 40 in a pipeline at a time. So what is your best marketing source right now? So one of our ones that really still produces probably the best for us is direct mail. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I see so many flashes in the pan and you know how that goes. Oh yeah. Texting. Shiny object syndrome. Yeah. And, but I've been doing direct mail now for 20 years. Mm -hmm. 
And there's some other things we do, you know, pay-per-click and Facebook and, you know, um, you know, different components that we, we do as well. But that's by far our most dominant one. And how many markets are you in, in Ohio? So pretty well all of like the Dayton metropolitan area, Cincinnati, and we even go into northern Kentucky and stuff like that, too. Okay. You're not in Columbus or Cleveland? Mm -mm, no. Just, we're very focused on those areas and then uh we're you know we're adding some new markets on things that you know we were just talking about that earlier right and growing a little bit more on that side of things but um you got to make sure that foundation's in place before you do anything like that yeah and then you're, you mentioned earlier you were doing virtual before it became a thing yeah so talk about it what's different in your sales process than what you commonly see out there I think a big thing that is uh, on our sales process is I'm um, I'm very um, I guess very focused on being clear about what the client's going to expect. Okay, mm -hmm. so like when I train my sales team on this, and you know other people I work with it's so important for them to understand what the outcome, what the objective is of this call. So, so many people would set it up where they would say, okay, hey, you know, uh, everything sounds good. I'd love to set up the time to take a look at your property. Well, you just have to change that. So what we do is we focus more on, let's start the process, okay? And another thing we're really big at too, Steve, is uh, I'm extremely focused and I hit this so hard as one, we're never making offers. It's all about creating solutions. Mm -hmm. And you, I mean, you know, to my friend, you, I mean, you're very skilled at that and your teachings too, but it's all about creating solutions, solving people, uh, you know, problems. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another thing too, that we, um, kind of my little niche thing is we never make an offer. We qualify properties. And that's and that's worked really well. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so I've seen over the year, and this is something I just started on my own years and years ago. I, I noticed I used to, and I, I used to, for years I went out there on all the appointments myself. Okay, thousands of them, and I used to go out there, and then I started doing some things over the phone, and I realized that I said here's something interesting. So I decided to try it. And I said, what if I didn't mention the word offer? and never even made them an offer. So what I did, it was I changed it to kind of the thinking like if I was working with someone like that was qualifying for a mortgage. Mm -hmm. So what I did was that I would say, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, I said, I just want to share with you, you know, we let's say we talk numbers and I said, you know, the looks like I can get your property qualified for this. And what was funny, Steve, when I started doing that, it was pretty cool. I started noticing, it wasn't all the time, but I started noticing people wouldn't counter offer because mm. I never made them an offer. Right. I changed the terminology of it. And it was an interesting concept and I've used that and trained my own team as a lot of my students have used that. And it's, it's funny how that works, but just, you know, and it'll throw people off totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because with a mortgage, you don't counter qualify. You qualify exactly. for a $300,000 purchase. Yeah. Okay, that's why I qualify. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, we really worked hard here and it looks like we can get your property qualified for this. And what's funny is I had so many people say, that's the best you can get it done for? Yep, that's all it qualifies for. Uh -huh. And they're like, okay, 
you know? And it doesn't happen all the time, mm -hmm. but it's amazing by just changing that because if you think about it, like, you know, I have a conversation, hey, Steve, here's my offer, man. What's your initial first thought? Well, counter offer. Counter. Yeah. yeah. So what if we don't even bring that up? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's behavior that's, we respond just given the, the, the stimulus. So like, you know, I said, like, here's my, here's some documents I need you to sign as a contract. Oh, well, hang on. Like, exactly. Down. Exactly. So you just change the word. Like just some papers to review. Yeah. That's what we do. We all the time say, look, I just need you to okay the paperwork. Yeah. So, so it's just fascinating. You just change the, it means the same exact thing. Just present it differently. Yeah. So and that's how we started to really merge into the virtual process. And that, uh, another big thing too on the Steve was, um, and I got this from an insurance agent years ago when I thought, you know, people are out there, if they're doing this virtual, one of the big mistakes I see people make is they send contracts. We don't send contracts. What we do is we start the process and the contract doesn't exist until the moment we're ready to walk through it together. Mm -hmm. And that, that has been a big factor in us improving our conversion rate. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, I, I just try to recreate the same moment like I used to do in person when I was meeting at their vacant home, looking over, you know, their kitchen countertop or at their kitchen table or whatever. Well, you kind of see it. Um, you're buying a new home. They have to generate the contract while you're there. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, hey, why don't you go home? I'm going to send you the contract. Like, the contract, like, hang on. And it's like a painful experience. It's like 10 minutes of them, like, going back and forth and, like, typing things in. Yeah. But they're generating the contract. Yeah. Right there. Um, and then... Uh, I want to ask you some other questions. So I, I want to, but before we do that, your your focus is on growth and not grind. So for someone that's listening right now, can you give them the single biggest takeaway or single biggest nugget to help them focus on growth and not grind? I think the biggest thing that you can do to really get to that point of not focusing on the grind all the time, and uh, this. Um, really, Steve, this comes down to a big component of this is just awareness of all that you're really doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of the best exercises that I have a lot of people do is make up a simple chart of boxes. And I say, take each section, marketing, acquisitions, lead intake, dispo, rental management, project management, bookkeeping, all these components. And I said, write all this down and then put your name in all, all the boxes that apply. Mm -hmm. And what happens on that man is when they do that, they are like, holy cow, I didn't realize I was doing all this. Mm -hmm. And it's a light bulb moment. Yeah. And I think that is one of the biggest things you can do when you do that, you'll get, you'll be, uh, the awareness is the step first before you can go anywhere else that you have to realize and you have to accept that and you got to stop the craziness you know look i understand when you're first starting you're doing some things here but i can tell you right now that's something i would have changed when i first started if, if i knew about it then i would have turned around and put that stuff in place and build it a lot sooner you would have slapped 27 year old jerry when he was doing oh, electrical work slapped, yeah yeah 100 <laughs> my man all right, so I want to change the subject a little bit. Um, so you and I were talking about this before the recording was traveling. Right. You, know, you got five kids, they're a little older. And then someone asked me, like, hey, am I going to see you at the end of the month? I was like, no. Like, I have to be very intentional and strategic sure. with what, what I travel to. It's like, you know, I got three young girls. 
and I'm trying my best to not be a divorced dad. <laughs> right. And, but we, we have this challenge because there's all these great masterminds across the country. And if you want to scale up or you want to level up, the best players aren't in your market. That's the right. best players are across the country. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're everywhere. Right. Yeah. So what bits of wisdom would you give to someone? Cause we're talking about focusing on growth, not grinding and, you know, traveling, I think, is part of it. Yeah, it is. I, I agree with you on that, Steve. I think one of the big things is you can't be involved in every single group. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's one thing you have to accept on that side of things. And another thing, too, is I think the, the biggest thing is just getting in a position where you, a group that is very focused towards growth, and but not just in the business, but on the mental side. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, then it just comes down, Steve, to being um, just in a position where you're really focused on um, what is really going to move the needle in your business. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I see this a lot with people where they don't understand what are the, you know, what's the things that are really going to move the needle in their business. But there, a lot of them are out there just they're chasing this, they're chasing this. Oh, well, I'm going to do add this to the business. And it's like be very focused. And, you know, get very niched. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that means that if you're going to become very niched on the, a certain area, you don't need to be uh, out to every single real estate workshop. All right. Okay. That's thing is funny because I was just thinking about it right now. It's the same mastermind we're in. It's family mastermind. Exactly. That's the end of this month. So, yeah, I won't be able to go to that one. But, yeah, someone asked me, like, hey, you going? I was like, ah, I can't. Uh, all right. So, Alex wants to know. How often are you sending mail to the same list? So that's a good question. We do something different with mail that most people uh, never do. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Steve, this is something that, uh, this is actually an area that kind of bothers me some. Okay. Now this is coming from, you know, looking at the guru side of things. There's a lot of teaching out there too, where they say, okay, you get a list and you just mail that list over and over and over again. Well, here's the thing, man. A lot of people just starting up in this don't have the money to take it and put it into a list that, you know, if they mail it, mail it over and over again and it doesn't work at all, nothing comes from it, and they keep doing that, I mean, they could spend all their marketing money there. Yeah. So what I, we've done is we set it up where we create basically a farm area. We create zones within there. And then we do a rotation around those zones. Mm-hmm. So to kind of answer a question on things on that is we rotate around the zones and then based upon the performance of each zone dictates when we do a second round of mailers mm. or a third round of mailers. Got it. Okay. And I, I've seen a lot of people do that. And the results, we've been using that, that type of system for about 20 years. Okay. And wow. it works well. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and then doing, you know, as much, as many deals as you're doing, what is your monthly marketing spend to accomplish that? So, you know, it's funny. We, we, um, we're fortunately we're in the market. That's not overly, you know, in regards to, uh, it's not gurus flying. It, it's not real expensive on yeah. things, but our average is about 20 grand a month. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really good. Yeah. And then what is your average fee in your market? On the wholesale wise, mm-hmm. well, that's funny. We've actually improved that. Uh, we used to be around seventy five hundred. Mm-hmm. Then we moved it up to ten. Now our average is about twelve. Yeah, 
but this year we've been uh, just with the market spin, and I don't like to say that's our complete average yet, but we've been moving closer to 16. Wow, that's really good. So, and what is the overhead to run the operation? We run um, with my whole team. We run right around forty-five thousand a month. So, overhead forty-five, and that's on top of the twenty, or including the twenty. That's twenty included in there. Okay, perfect. Um, and is there any tool, any system, anything out there that you know you could not live without for your business? Well, one thing I couldn't live without it right now is having a good leader to run my operation, my CEO. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if I look at just a system on things, I look at really KPI tracking. Our we've you know we set up daily. We've got basically just our daily KPI tracking spreadsheets we set up. Mm-hmm. That is our big thing now. What are you using to track all that? We just we basically just created Google Sheets on that mm-hmm. side of things. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, we have, we built that. I mean, obviously, we have Podio, um, things like that. We had done a custom build out on Podio and stuff, but um, you know, Steve, we 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 look at that, and that's what, uh, and that's all I look at on a daily basis. And what is your biggest struggle right now? You know, I think the uh, always the biggest struggle that I find once you get to this point is constantly um, more people, the right people. You know, I was actually talking to a neighbor about this, right? We're trying to get a space. And he's been impossible to get a hold of, so I'm just sending some weird text messages like, you know, I'm sorry I offended you, whatever, you know, to, get him, to get, bring him back. Um, and, yeah, when I finally finally got him on the phone, he's like, I apologize. Like, our people, it's just a headache. And I have to keep solving all the problems. Like, I've been there. Done yeah. That. Totally understand. <laughs> I mean, I think our big thing is just we, we are looking at, we constantly want our uh, – in a growth mode mm-hmm. and we're always looking for new people, new, you know, people, new A players to come on and build the team more. Yeah. What is your superpower? Wow. Superpower. I think my superpower is the ability to really help people uh, see what they're doing wrong in this business in a very quick uh, period of time mm-hmm. because I've had so many years of doing it wrong, Steve. Yeah. And be able to get them on the right track very fast. You know, I want to ask that. I meant to ask it, early, ask it earlier. So you mentioned earlier that you know what to do, but executing is a pain in the butt. And you learned that by yourself. Oh, yes. And I learned that a lot by myself. Like, we get it done, but it's not beautiful. It's no. not graceful. No. Right? It's like limping across the finish line. Yeah. And I learned too, man. It's just that, you know, like you said, I suck at so many things. So I just focus on what I'm really good at. And I'm good at the ideas and I'm good at helping people you know, navigate through these things, but the execution, I bring in other people that are really good at that. So a theory I've had is that you see these gurus and they've got a bad name for a reason. Um, But I theorize that the reason, or that the, the, the gurus are really just one good COO away from being somebody. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree. It's, I can tell you this, okay? One of the, absolutely the best decision I made in my business was taking Ashley that works for me, you know, and that runs my company now, was putting her in that position. That was, Steve, that it was a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. And we have seen prob, uh, on average about 50% growth each year since she's done that. Yeah. Okay? And it's, it's 
that has been huge on that side of right. things. The, and here's what, and one thing out this tie into this is I think what happens is when we're in control of the complete operation, we say we want to go, 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 but actually we're pulling back on the throttle. Mm -hmm. And when you get somebody in there that you allow to really run the operation and really wants to push things, they'll push the throttle all the way and the team will go along with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing to witness. It is. Yeah. It's truly amazing on things. Yeah, and we see it even in our organizations. Like we want to push, we want to do all these things, but we're not necessarily applying the energy necessary. Exactly, man. To make all those things happen. And we get so scattered. Yeah. You know? But having the right integrator in place. It's huge. They're pushing everyone, including us. Yeah. They, that's, a, dude, that is really important because they keep us accountable. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I want you to think about a thought that you want to leave the listeners with while I make just a couple announcements. Guys, please like, subscribe, share, comment. If you got value today, it helps me, helps the algorithm. And if we can do that, we help more people. And then join us next week. Won't be live on Wednesday. It'll be Thursday. It'll be our only Thursday ever. We've got Jason Medley coming in from Collective Genius. He's going to talk about how he transitioned from being a hard money lender to running, I think, the biggest mastermind uh, in our space. Um, and then we do have a workshop in a couple of days. If you guys are still interested, please send me a message if you guys are interested in that. So, Jerry, what are some last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Well, well, I know we got people from probably beginning stage to people that are already more advanced. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm just telling you from 20, this is going on 27 years in the business this year, okay, is uh, number one, guys, is don't, don't think it's ever too soon to build this into a real business. Let me just tell you that right there because I get so many people say, well, I'm going to wait. Why wait? Okay? Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that all the time, Steve. You're wearing that right now. So, time is now. Yeah, time is now. And I see people all the time. It's like, you know, I think about, I always describe this. If I'm in the cell phone business, okay, I'm not going to be stagnant. I'm going to want to build that out. But why do we uh, get stagnant in real estate? I just think we get so personal on that. So that's a big thing here is, guys, don't wait on that. And another thing, too, I think it's extremely important, too, man, is to find out how your mind functions very soon because that's a big thing that held me back for years. I'm talking years mm -hmm. and cost me a, a lot of money. In fact, I done a video not too long ago. I think I figured up just a rough estimate about one and a half million dollars. That's it. I think I okay. lost more than that. No, just that that's just on being stubborn mm -hmm. and not being in the position where I, I ever took the time to see how how I function and that I'm not the best at everything. Yeah. And you got to accept that. Yeah, I think that's powerful because I learned that from coaching, from being coached. Yeah. My first coach. Yeah. And that was the thing. There's two things. Like it was exactly what you said. The two biggest takeaways for me were those two takeaways. It was that uh, your business, not uh, this high paid employee that works for yourself, your business. The moment you start acting like a business, you'll have a business. Yep. If you treat it as a business, it will treat you as a business owner. Exactly. Yep. And the other thing was uh, you should spend as much time as you can being as late, figure out how to be as lazy as possible. hundred percent, man. You got to learn how to fire yourself quickly. Yeah. And so the, those, those are my two biggest takeaways. And I think but, we're, so it sounds like we're right in sync, my man. <laughs> but they took me 
four years of coaching to get that. Yeah. And you just dropped those two right here at the end of the, yeah. the, uh, the this uh, interview. Uh, if someone wants to get hold of you, how do, how do they get a hold of you? So a couple different ways. One, connect with me um, through Facebook. Okay. My personal page is pretty full on things with friends. Um, but you can go to my uh, business page, just Jerry Green. You'll see it in there on the real estate side of things. Um, so make sure you like it there. You can uh, hook up with me on Instagram. Um, it's the Jerry Green. Mm-hmm. And then also my website is thejerrygreen.com. So awesome. Thank you. This thanks, Steve. Yeah, thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. Thank my you man. guys for watching. Yep, appreciate it, guys. I'm glad. Uh, thank you, Steve, for everything. Yeah, that was awesome. What a great episode. So cool. Yeah, good job. Thanks, buddy.